the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now the first thing Peter tells them to do is repent which is highly significant in light of the fact that in today's approach to witnessing and evangelism, the issue of repentance is often either distorted or completely left out of most gospel presentations. But Peter didn't leave it out. True faith must cause repentance, and repentance can only happen as a result of faith. All through the book of Acts, the apostles linked salvation with repentance. And Peter was no exception. Does that conflict with salvation by grace? Not at all, as we'll see today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. We're glad you could join us today for the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's last message in this series from Acts chapter 2 about Peter's Pentecost sermon. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In that Pentecost sermon, Peter gave a brilliant explanation of why the believers were speaking in foreign languages, who Jesus was, and why he died and rose again. And after proving that Jesus was the Messiah, Peter looked his audience right in the eye and said, in so many words, you killed him. It was a powerful indictment. Let's see how they responded. Here's Pastor Steve. All of their lives they had been taught about the Messiah. And that was their hope, that the Messiah would come and deliver them. And now Peter is telling them that he has come. The one who is talked about in your synagogues and in your homes, the one you've been reading about all of your lives in the scriptures, he's come and you put him to death. He's telling him, oh Israel, God became a man and dwelt among you. He came to you. He actually came to you and you rejected him and you killed him. And with that charge ringing in their ears, Peter's sermon, it's over. It's over. He's ended the sermon with a startling accusation against those in the crowd before him. And what is their reaction? Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? They're absolutely devastated by what they've heard that they've done. Luke tells us, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that when they heard Peter's words, they were pierced to the heart. What does that mean? It means they were pierced with guilt. They were convicted of their sin. They were smitten in their conscience. They knew they were guilty. And in their grief and in their anguish, they don't know what to do. They can't undo what they've already done. They know that they're guilty of the most scandalous crime imaginable putting to death their own Messiah and Lord. And what's more, he, the one they crucified, he's alive. 
and he's exalted. And he's in a position to punish them as his enemies. So not knowing what to do, they cry out to Peter and to the other apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Listen, these folks are looking for answers. They don't really know what to do. They want some direction from the apostles. In other words, they know that they're incapable of removing this horrible guilt. And so they're asking for their help in light of the fact that they've put their their Messiah and Lord to death and they're now objects of his wrath. They desperately want to know, what should we do in light of all of this? Now, let me stop for a moment and explain that what these individuals are expressing at this point, that's the heart cry of someone who's ready to be saved. Because what they're expressing is, first of all, conviction of their sin. They know that they are guilty before a holy God, and they want a remedy to their sin. Secondly, they are expressing a willingness to submit to doing whatever God wants them to do. They're desperate individuals looking for answers. Tell us what to do. What does God want us to do at this point? And folks, this is exactly the attitude of someone who's ready to be saved. It's important that you know this because we don't want to, in evangelizing, pick fruit that's not ripe. As they see their sin, their heart cry to God is, Oh God, what have I done? I've sinned against you, and I don't want to continue in such rebellion. See, the only people who will ever be saved are those who not only know they have sinned, but who are deeply remorseful over their sin, and they want to stop sinning against God. And in their grief-stricken hearts, they know that they have rebelled against God by living independent of him, so that they have done whatever their sinful hearts dictated that they do, and now they want it to stop. And so they are willing to surrender and submit to Christ's lordship over them. Listen, without this conviction of sin, no one will ever be saved. There must always be conviction of sin brought about by the Holy Spirit through the word of God before there can be salvation from sin. We don't come to Jesus to make our lives easier in this world. We don't come to Jesus because we've messed up. We come to him because we're sinful. We know it. And we want the forgiveness of our sins. There can be no salvation from sin without the conviction of sin. You see this clearly in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 12 and 13 where we read about Israel's future conversion and restoration at the end of the seven year tribulation period just before Messiah returns. In Zechariah 12:10, we read, I'll pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they'll weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. The nation will realize what Peter has told these thousands of Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. We pierced him, we rejected him, and they will mourn guilty before God. This is conviction of sin. But then, after conviction of sin, comes cleansing. And we read in Zechariah 13, 1, in that day, meaning that the day that Israel turns to the Lord, that they, that they repent of their sin and believe on him, in that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. There has to be conviction before there's cleansing. So Peter and the other apostles 
have been asked by this crowd of grief-stricken Jewish people, brethren, what shall we do? What do we do now? Folks, it's the equivalent of saying, what must I do to be saved? What do I do? Peter answers them in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing Peter tells them to do is repent, which is highly significant in light of the fact that in today's approach to witnessing and evangelism, the issue of repentance is often either distorted or completely left out of most gospel presentations. But Peter didn't leave it out. He told them that if they wanted to be saved, they needed to repent. It's the same thing that John the Baptist told his generation as well as Jesus. He said, they both said, repent for the kingdom of God has arrived. Repent. So what does it mean to repent? Well, repentance means knowing that I am guilty before God. I change my mind about my sin and the sinful life I've been living so that I I now abhor my sin and I turn away from it. Turning away from my sin, I turn to Jesus Christ, trusting him for my salvation with an attitude of submission to him as my Lord. See, repentance is part of saving faith. It's not in addition to saving faith. It's part of it. It's actually the flip side of the same coin. Without repentance, there is no salvation because without repentance, there is no faith. You cannot believe on Christ for salvation, salvation from sin, while continuing to live the same sinful lifestyle you've always led. It's just not happening. In other words, without a turning away from your sin, there is no turning to Christ to save you from sin. Repentance, you see this demonstrated very clearly in the lives of the Thessalonians, who in describing their salvation, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, they turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They turned to God, they turned away from their idols. That's repentance. See, it's important to understand that true repentance is not simply sorrow over the consequences of your sin. It is a sorrow and a grief over your sin because your sin is such an affront and an insult to Almighty God. As commentator Albert Barnes put it, he said, false repentance dreads the consequences of sin. True repentance dreads sin itself. It's a brilliant statement by Albert Barnes. True repentance dreads sin itself. And true repentance will always be evident in someone's life because the fruit of repentance is a commitment to Christ and a willingness to obey and to submit to his authority. So the first thing Peter tells these stunned and grief-stricken Jewish people, he says, repent. But look again at verse 38. Notice what else Peter tells them to do. He says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people are confused by this statement because it appears initially that Peter is telling these people that they need to be baptized in water to have their sins forgiven. But listen, even if you didn't know what Peter meant by this statement about baptism and the forgiveness of sins, you should know for certain that he wasn't telling them to be baptized to be forgiven, to be saved. And you can know this for the following reasons. Number one, 
because this would completely contradict the rest of Scripture. And God never contradicts himself. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, without any mixture of works or good deeds. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that's number one. It can conflict with other scripture, which is very clear. Salvation is by faith alone. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes out of his way to directly state that baptism is not a part of the gospel message. It's rather something that happens after one becomes a Christian. It ought to be a confession of faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's, that's very important. He's saying that the gospel is not baptism. Baptism is not part of the gospel. That's not the good news. Baptism comes later. Secondly, in other places in the book of Acts, when Peter speaks of repentance in connection with the forgiveness of sins, baptism isn't even mentioned. It's something unique that he said on the day of Pentecost. For example, in Acts 3.19, therefore he said, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here Peter says, repent and your sins will be wiped away. Never mentions baptism. Again, In Acts 5.31, Peter says, He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He never mentions anything there about baptism. Now, the fact that nowhere else does Peter link baptism with the forgiveness of sins except to this Jewish crowd on the day of Pentecost, it tells us that he wasn't requiring them to be baptized in order to be saved. So then what was he saying? What's the point of his words? Why did he tie baptism in with forgiveness? Listen closely. Because having just called them to repent of their sin, Peter is telling them that the way to prove the genuineness of their repentance is by being baptized in the name of Jesus. In fact, the Greek word for for the forgiveness of sins can be translated, and in this case should be translated, because. Repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. Because you have been forgiven, because you are saved, go in the waters of baptism and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Remember, folks, who this audience is. These are not people who, who like in our church, would be baptized and it'd be up there and it'd be very comfortable on a Sunday night. All their friends are here, their relatives are here. We clap when they're baptized. No, no, that's not the way it was in Peter's world. These are Jerusalem Jews. These are men and women who have been hostile to Christ. They've recently called for him to be crucified, for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus would mean that they would be willing to be completely cut off and ostracized from the Jewish community by being identified now with the crucified one, the one that Israel has officially rejected. For them to publicly confess Christ in the waters of baptism meant that they would become outcasts from their own society. That's the only world they've ever known. But this would prove something. It would prove the genuineness of their repentance. If they refuse to be publicly baptized and be identified with Jesus as one of his followers, then it would reveal that they had never really repented. Peter didn't make it easy for them. Several years ago, I saw this issue actually lived out in an individual I know. 
There was a man who prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior and, and Lord, and I tried to be very clear about the gospel. Several months went by, and things looked good. He was doing some Bible study that I had got him in. I was following up with him. Um, I, I thought things were going along fine. And then one day, one day I told him, I said, now you need to be baptized. You need to publicly confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's like I turned on a switch. He adamantly refused, adamantly. And from that day forward, his profession of faith ceased. And he has been an opponent, an outspoken opponent of the gospel ever since. Now, all of this just proved in this man's life that he was never saved in the first place. Believers don't react like that. If he was saved, he would have Yes, he might have been nervous, but he would have submitted to the waters of baptism and publicly stood before all of you here confessing that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. So in response to this crowd's question, in light of the fact that that we murdered our Messiah and Lord, what shall we do? Peter tells them to repent of their sin and to prove the genuineness of their repentance by being baptized in the name of Jesus. That's significant. It's not a formula he's using. Just saying, be identified with the crucified one. And the results, he said, will be twofold. First, Peter tells them that God will forgive their sin, all of their sin. And that includes the sin of putting Messiah, the Lord, to death. Listen, when we come to faith in Jesus, God immediately forgives all of our sins. This is what scripture so clearly teaches. Colossians 2.13, for example, when you were dead, In your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. What a blessed truth. Sometimes people think that their sins are so horrible that God couldn't possibly forgive them. That's so wrong. So wrong. Even if you feel that way, your feelings are wrong because there is no sin greater than the sin of murdering Jesus. And yet Peter tells these people that if they repent, God will forgive them for that sin and all of their other sins. No matter how evil you've been, you can be forgiven if you'll repent and trust Christ to save you. But secondly, Peter tells them that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a wonderful truth. At the moment you believe on Christ, God gives you his spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to permanently indwell you. Unlike in Old Testament times when the spirit only came upon some people, now he's given to every believer in Christ. Every believer. And Peter explains this in the next verse. Notice verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Peter is telling them the Holy Spirit isn't given to an exclusive group of people, but God has promised to give him to all who believe on Christ. He says to you, meaning to all of you Jewish people who are standing before me, he says. You've trusted, if you trust Christ for salvation, he gives you the Spirit of God. To your children, meaning to all generations of Jewish believers. And to those who are far off, He's referring to Gentiles who believe in Jesus for their salvation. They were far off, now they've been brought near. In fact, Peter makes it abundantly clear. He says that God gives the Holy Spirit to all who who he calls to himself for salvation. Listen, if you are a true Christian, 
then you have the Spirit of God living in you and don't ever take him for granted. His ministry to you is to help you understand the Word of God, even today as you're listening to this sermon. His ministry to you is to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. His ministry to you is to strengthen you when you're weak, to encourage you when you're discouraged, to convict you of your sin, to enable you to repent of your sin, and so much more. So thank God for the ministry of the Spirit of God in your life. Now, as we said, Peter's sermon ended with that closing assertion that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah and his accusation that this crowd was guilty of putting him to death. But in verse 40, Luke adds just this. He said, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, what Luke is telling us is that following Peter's sermon, he stayed around. He stayed around. He engaged the crowd in a dialogue And in that dialogue, he kept exhorting them to be saved from this evil generation, a generation which had rejected Jesus. Listen, it was a generation that was soon to perish, not only physically, but spiritually. See, in just a few years, many of these people standing before Peter that day in that crowd, they would die. They would die at the hands of the Romans in the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D., And if they died without trusting Christ as their Lord and their Savior, then their deaths would be tragic because it would be eternal as well. Therefore, it was critical that this crowd of Jewish people standing before Peter, hearing him preach the truths about the Messiah, would respond quickly to his call to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. They didn't have much time left. And to anyone here today without Jesus as your Savior, the same thing could be said of you. Repent, turn to Christ, and be saved, because time is running out for you too. You don't know when God will say that your time has come to die. None of us do. And you want to be ready to die. And the only way to be ready to die is to make sure that your sins are forgiven. And the only way to have your sins forgiven is by trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no other remedy to guilt, no other remedy. Someone may argue with you intellectually about the gospel, but ask them what their remedy is for their guilt. There's only one remedy, only one solution. It's Christ. So repent, believe on Christ with a heart of submission to him as your Lord. And if you already are a believer, then praise and worship Jesus for who he is. He is the exalted one who will one day be acknowledged by all to the glory of of God the Father, that he is Lord. So live your life as if he is your Lord in every single detail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible sermon by Peter. More importantly, we thank you for the truth that Jesus has been exalted. Lord, what he, what he always was has now been exercised in power. And we thank you that at your right hand, he's still there, subduing his enemies, enemies like us, Lord, he's brought to himself. But I know there's coming a day when every knee will bow before him, every tongue will confess that he's Lord to your glory. And I pray if there be some here who are still in rebellion to him, that they will be convicted of their sin, they'll be brought to a point of repentance, mourning their sin, trusting you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask that the Spirit of God, the one who brings conviction, 
to our hearts, the one who opens our hearts to the gospel might do that work in someone here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you don't already know Jesus as your Savior, there can be no better time than right now to repent and submit to Him. If you are still not sure about how you can have a personal relationship with God, I'll give you a phone number to call in just a moment. First, though, I want to thank you for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. To get service times or to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Christ, call 727-441-1714. You can also ask for a free audio CD with the sermon Pastor Steve just concluded. Ask for message number 14, Peter's Sermon About Pentecost, Part 4. The CD is free, but if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse financially, we would be grateful. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. Another way to get involved financially with Verse by Verse is through the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. And don't forget our message archive page. All of our previous broadcasts are available there for free downloading or streaming, so you can listen at your convenience and get caught up on any programs you might have missed. In fact, maybe you have a friend who'd like to listen but can't tune in when we're on the air. The message archive would be a great resource to share with that friend. Once again, it's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.